Um, oh, we're going have the Bible reading now. Rob. Would you like that? Yes. People probably said that. Does that, that sound all right? Okay. Um, first reading is uh, from Exodus chapter 3. That's on page 59 of the Bibles where you are. So I'll let you find it. It's a very familiar story, I guess, to many of us. But a good one. Exodus chapter 3, starting at verse 1, page 59. Moses and the burning bush. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And the second reading is uh, from John. It's John chapter 8, which is on page uh, 1074 of the Bibles where you are. Uh, John chapter 8 
starting at verse 48. John chapter 8 from verse 48, page 1074. The claims of Jesus about himself. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my father and you dishonour me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not know, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is the word of the Lord. Over these next three Sundays in this church season of Epiphany, what I want us to to look at is to look at some of the very famous I am sayings that Jesus said about himself. These are words that Jesus said about himself, about who he is. And as we, we look at these three questions over these next three Sundays, we're going to be asking them. The question today is, who is Jesus? The question next week is, what is the life that Jesus promised? And the question in two weeks' time is this, is what does it mean to, in the words of the great hymn, abide in Jesus in your life together? Because when it comes down to it, these I am sayings of Jesus, they're some of the most famous things he ever said, aren't they? I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And as we heard today, just I am. They're some of the most famous sayings of Jesus. And together with the signs in John's gospel, if you like the famous miracles that Jesus did, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, they give us this complete and comprehensive picture of who Jesus actually is. So let us pray together. Lord, show us your ways. 
and teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us. For you are God our Saviour and our hope is in you all day long. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't we keep our Bibles open at, at page 59, if you've got it, because that's where, that's where we'll start. Some of you were here that night. It is perhaps the most holy night of the year, as the great carol goes. It is the night of our dear Saviour's birth. And on that night, there I was, approaching midnight on Christmas Eve, and I was kind of in full flow in the middle of a sermon, when all of a sudden I noticed a distraction, a bit more than usual that I notice when I'm preaching. And kind of this distraction was going on over my left shoulder from where I'm stood now. And so, like Moses had to do in this passage, I had to turn aside and look. And I could kind of see from the, from the pulpit there that there was kind of this thing that doesn't normally happen, shall we say, in church happening. There was this appearance of a burning bush, quite literally. And I can honestly tell you that this one was consuming itself at quite a fast rate. And so, shall we say, there was an interruption. And that's why we have water bottles next to every Christmas floral decoration in church. But normal service was resumed shortly afterwards. But this wasn't the case for Moses, was it? For Moses, in our, in our reading in Exodus chapter 3, it was this kind of life-changing moment. If you know anything about the history or more Moses' life story, you'll know this. You'll know for 40 years of Moses' life, he spent his life in luxury. He spent his life right next to Pharaoh in Egypt in his palace. And then something happened in his life. He killed a man. And as a result, he spent the next 40 years of his life almost in this nomadic lifestyle where he ends, where we see him today in the wilderness, looking after his father-in-law's sheep. So that was Moses' life. 40 years in luxury, 40 years as a nomad. And then, on this day in history, his life changed. This, if you like, for the whole of his 80 years of his life, it was all about this one moment that was about to happen. And the Lord appears to him, and Moses has this epiphany moment. But notice the text. Notice the text in verses 3 and 4. Notice the timing. Moses is, if you like, heading towards the baptism font. And he has to turn and look over his left shoulder and look at the good Samaritan window where the bush is burning. And then, when he goes over to the burning bush, God speaks to him. The timing is significant. The order is significant. Moses! Moses! And so Moses kind of says, well, here I am. But the question Moses is really asking is, is who or what are you? Because that's what any sane person would be asking at the thought of seeing a bush that speaks that doesn't consume. And God replies. 
But before he replies and introducing who he actually is, what he actually does is he kind of reminds Moses of the significance of the moment, the holiness of the moment. Because when you gather in the presence of God, it's a holy place. And so he's reminded to take off his sandals. And then God introduces himself. He introduces himself as the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God, if you like, of his ancestors. And now Moses is really, really terrified. Because he's seen God. And he knows what that meant. It meant, in effect, he was about to die. And then God speaks to him. And he says to him, Almost the last thing that he's expecting in this scrambled, fuddled mind where he's got all these thoughts going through his head and he's absolutely petrified and shaking. And God gives him his his calling in life. If you like what the whole of his 80 years have been about to this stage, that now his life will involve a purposeful journey back through the wilderness, back to Egypt, back to Pharaoh's palace. And now his journey will involve that purposeful journey then back through the wilderness into the land that God promised, the land of life and opportunity and freedom because God has heard the cries of his people of the misery and slavery that they were going in in Egypt. And this is now Moses' calling. And as you read, as we read on in verse 11, he isn't exactly thrilled that he's got this particular calling from God. It's one that he does not want to have. Who am I, God, that you should give me this opportunity? And all that God says to him in verse 12 is this, and he just says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you, and this is the sign that I will be with you. That one day there will come a place where you will come back to this very place with the rest of the people of Israel, and you will worship me here. Well, if Moses' first question is to question, if you like, who he is, his second question is kind of to question who God is. Well, who are you, God? Because, quite frankly, I haven't got a clue. And then God answers him, doesn't he? Moses has gone on this journey. Notice the text from verse 5, from here I am to who am I? To now hear God's answers to who he is. Supposing God. Supposing I go. What am I supposed to say to the people if they ask, well, what is the name of the God who sent me? What am I supposed to say? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them my name is I am has sent me to you. This is the key verse in the whole of chapter 3. Here in the fir- for the first time in Israel's history, God reveals his name to Israel. This is such an important passage to every Jew who's ever lived and whoever will live. This goes right to the very heart of their identity, of who they believe God is and who they are. It tells Moses three things. It tells him God is alive. I am. It tells him that God is present to him. I am with you. And it tells him God 
is ready to enact salvation. Go, I am sending you to Egypt. Yet if we think about it, what sort of response really is it? I am who I am. God, what's your name? He couldn't just say God, could he? I am who I am. At best, it's an enigmatic answer. It kind of leaves us, if we really think about it, scratching our heads. And that's what it's left most of the scholars all through the centuries who've ever puzzled at this particular response from God. I am who I am. What does that mean? If you know your Hebrew, if you maybe look at the the text underneath, you will know that it can be translated in the present, I am who I am. It can also be translated in the future, I will be who I will be. It could be translated like this, I will be who I am. Or even better, I am who I will be. Or I am here. Wherever it may be, I'm really here. It's just this kind of cryptic, God-like answer to a kind of simple human question. And then, as Eugene Peterson writes, the name has been shortened to this verbal noun of four letters. Y-H-W-H. The pronunciation is, is Yahweh. If, you, if you're, if you're new, to, new to the Bible then it's the word in English that is always what puts Lord in capitals. The self-revealing name of God. It's you, the name used of God more than anything else in the Old Testament. It's used more than 6,700 times. There's a good challenge for you in 2017, isn't it? Find the 6,700 times that Lord is used of God in the Bible. Yet, in effect, what it means in many ways, is this. You, you just can't define God. You just can't put him in a box. It tells us something about his, his presence. It's deeply personal. Yet it's mysterious at the same time. And forbids someone to say or to possess or to try and control God. And so eventually, doesn't he? Eventually, after much soul soul searching, Moses goes very reluctantly and very doubting to Egypt. And his life and the nation of Israel's life is changed forever. This is why this story is so foundational to every Jew. They would have it written across their foreheads. They would have it bound round their wrists to know this story because this is where in many ways their story begins. And this is why when we roll ahead 12 centuries to another holy place, if you like the holy place of God, we now see the significance of how another man now claims this name for God, for himself. When the Jews ask Jesus, who are you? Or more particular for the, as far as they're concerned, who do you think you are? And the passage that was, that was read for us on page, whatever it is, 1074 and 1075, it comes at the end of an exchange. I want you to notice something about the end of the exchange here, but also notice something else. Because... 
We just read a passage. And we don't necessarily pick up the context. The context really of this passage starts at the beginning of chapter 7. So just flick over the, the time before. And if you've got a Bible there in front of you, that for one of the church Bibles, it'll probably say a title that says, Jesus goes to the festival of, of tabernacles. And what happens is there's this exchange, often a very fiery exchange between Jesus and his opponents, all about this question about who Jesus is. And it probably goes on for a couple of days. And if you notice, if you look at it, that there's all sorts of questions that the Jewish opponents have questioned Jesus about. For instance, we see one in verse 13 of of chapter 8. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. So they, they questioned his testimony. Then if you look in verse 19, they question his, his relationship to God. Well, who is your father? And where is your father? And then they question his, his very identity in verse 25. Who are you, Jesus? And if you, you follow this through, what you see as well is that Jesus then comes back at them. And he then challenges their very authenticity of who they are as Jews. Because he questions, well, are you really a follower of Abraham? Or are you really a follower of God? So this is a pretty fiery exchange that goes on. And as we see at the end of chapter 8, it reaches this kind of explosive conclusion. This was kind of one of those moments where if you were in the kitchen and there was a lot of fire going on and a lot of cursing, this was the moment to make the exit very, very swiftly. Because this is going to get very, very explosive. And so we pick it up in where it was read for us in verse 48. And the Jews have started to throw a couple more accusations in against Jesus. They now question whether he really is a friend of the Jews by claiming that he's a Samaritan, remember the dreaded enemy of the Jews. But also they then question, well really, are you a friend of God? Because we think you're oppressed by a demon. And kind of Jesus skirts around the first accusation, but the second one, he goes right back at them too. And he, his response leaves the Jews even more agitated because he then starts to talk about death and how his followers will never taste eternal death. And it leads the Jews to bring once more back into the discussion Abraham. And how the greatest, if you like, of them all, Abraham, the way that it all began, how even he died. And then Jesus responds with something that really irks them, really irritates them, really agitates them, because he claims to have seen Abraham himself. And they respond, don't they, in verse 57, how could you? You're not even 50 years old. And then Jesus says in verse 58, this is the key verse, if you like, in the whole of this passage. This is one of the key verses in John's Gospel of who Jesus is. And I kind of think about this exchange that must have been going on and how fiery it must be. And Jesus knows what he's about to say and I wonder if he just pauses before he just says what he is about to say. And he just says, Before Abraham was born, I am. And at that moment, the Jewish leaders explode. 
They pick up whatever they can, a stone, a rock, whatever they can find, and they just throw it at him. Because they knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said these words. They knew that Jesus was committing blasphemy by claiming to be God. There's a famous expression that's used about John's gospel that's this. It says, this book is like a pool that's safe enough for a child to paddle in or deep enough for an elephant to swim in. That this book is like a pool that's safe enough for a child to paddle in yet deep enough for an elephant to swim in. It's a question of how deep do you want to go? So how deep do we want to go? You see, we can, we can, we can meet Jesus in the, in the shallow end. You can definitely meet Jesus here, there. Or as the song goes, you can walk into the depth of the waters. And you can find and experience Jesus there as well. You see, John writes, and as he writes this gospel, he writes with layers and layers of meaning and significance behind them. And it's the question of how deep do you want to go? Some of you might have thought the repeated references to Abraham in this passage and the link back to Exodus 3. Some of you might have seen where this argument is taking place. In verse 59, that it's taking place not in the holy mountain of God, but in the holy place of God, the temple. Some of you might have seen when I referenced the festival of tabernacles, it might have been a light bulb moment for you. And you might have actually realized even more the significance of what Jesus was saying. Because nowhere more in the Jewish calendar do they remember the idea of a Messiah coming than in the festival of tabernacles. That's what it's all about. It's a question of how deep do we want to go? Because in verse 58 we meet Jesus and who he is. And he says, I am. He uses God's name for himself. He's taken the divine name of God and all that that means and all the authoritative presence that that means and says, This is me. He's saying, I'm God. I was there long before Abraham was born and I was there and saw him through and I will be forever there. He is I am. As the great 20th century New Testament scholar writes, Jesus is effectively claiming eternal existence. That's what he's saying. Before Abraham came into being, I eternally was and am now and will continue to be. He is I am. He's identifying himself so closely with God that he is speaking of himself as being there. You know, this is as close as it gets from Jesus' lips to those words that we hear read so often at Christmas and we know so well that John starts his gospel with and that most of us perhaps don't understand. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God 
in the beginning. He is, I am. You know, this is, a, this is an absolute statement from, from Jesus. It's almost the towering, if you like, crest of Jesus' claims for himself. Yet we live in a world that, that doesn't like to make absolute statements. We live in a world that kind of tries to discourage, almost pour scorn, almost banish, almost forbid absolute statements. Yet, if you think about their thinking, they actually make an absolute statement by saying there are no absolute statements. Jesus says, I am. I am who I will be. I am there wherever it may be, but I'm really there. And so to finish, three thoughts. Jesus is I am. He's alive. C.S. Lewis once said, by the words of Jesus himself, he can't be a great moral teacher. He's either as the Jews thought insane or the devil of hell or he's the son of God and we just have to make that choice. Maybe this morning is that make up your moment time. Jesus says, I am. I'm alive. But what he also says by those words, I am who I am, is I am with you. In whatever circumstance or whatever situation he's saying, I am with you. You know, for me, one of the most important things in my life is to know and to feel the presence of God. Wherever I go, to know that God is with me. To know the, the security, to know the significance, to know the reality of what that is. You know, I was, I was so pleased with what Julie said. I mean, she's told me this for years, so it was nothing that I didn't know, but how she said, oh, well, I'm not sure whether I really should be there. I'm a bit frustrated. And God sees that frustration. I am with you. And then it says, I'm ready and I'm willing to enact salvation with and through you. You know, Moses' experience with the burning bush was life-changing, but it was only life-changing because he decided that he wasn't going to carry on walking to the font and instead he was going to look over and go and approach the Good Samaritan window. And it changed his life. So where, at the start of 2017, does God want you to go and enact salvation through him? Because he's ready and he's willing. Let us pray. As we pray together, let us, let us stand. And let's just be, be silent for a moment and say, 
just hear those words from God, to hear those words from Jesus. I am who I am. I'm alive. I'm with you. And I'm ready to enact salvation through and with you. How great you are, Lord Jesus. Lord, you're greater than our heart, our minds can imagine. Give us the humility to see our lives in reference to yours. To see how small and insignificant we are, how feeble and weak. And yet for such a small and insignificant people as we are, you humble yourself to seek us out, to speak to us, to send us out to speak for you. How humbling that is, Lord Jesus. And how ennobling. Give us the courage to represent such an awesome God as you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.